This morning's reading is from Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16 and starting at verse 22. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel for 20 years. Great. If you can find that reading there, you'll find that really helpful, whether that's on one of the A4 sheets. If you don't have one of those, there should be some spare ones right at the back there. Feel free to get up and get one if you need. If not, there are some pew Bibles there in front of you. I think it might be page 216, 17, something like that. We finished this morning our series looking through Judges, and we've looked especially at Gideon and Samson. And so this morning we come to Samson's swan song. In the first part of chapter 16, we saw that whilst the Saviour looked like he was washed up, God showed himself to be faithful. And we had a glimmer of hope and a suggestion that this might not quite be the end for Samson, with that verse 22 there, the hair of his head grew. Because here Samson has one final opportunity to frustrate and to fight with the Philistines. This is his swan song. In Greek mythology, uh, before the death of a swan, which was seen as a mostly sort of silent bird, it was this idea that in those final moments it would release this amazing sort of quite haunting song. 
It's become a phrase that we've just taken into culture and that we use in life of this idea of a final triumph before retiring or before death. It's the idea that was used about Lionel Messi, wasn't it? Winning the World Cup finally with Argentina, right at the end of his career, finally having that moment of triumph that he had always hoped for and everyone had always expected he would have. Well, this is Samson's swan song, but this is not Hollywood. And rather than it looking like a triumph, it looks a bit more like a defeat, doesn't it? But the one idea to take away home with you today is that God brings glory out of death. And I want to show you three things there in this passage. You'll notice those, them, uh, those things there on your sheet or, or up on the screen here. Firstly, there's the invisible gorilla, a foolish decision, and glory after death. Firstly, there's an invisible gorilla in verses 22 to 24. I've not gone crazy. Uh, the invisible gorilla is a book named after an experiment. And these two researchers made a video where students were asked to pass a basketball between themselves. And the viewers were asked to count the number of times that the players in white shirts uh, passed the ball. What they often fail to witness is a gorilla who walks in the background through the centre of the shot. The idea that they were trying to express and that this found is that when people are so focused on one thing, you can easily miss a very obvious problem. And that's where the Philistines are, isn't it? They are so excited that they've caught Samson, they can't see his hair has grown back. They can't see the invisible gorilla. But the hair of his head began to grow. And some of us are thinking, lucky Samson. But this is the turning point of the whole story. It's not just a little brag. Even though Samson, God's saviour, looks finished, God is not finished with Samson yet. So the laws of the Philistines, verse 23, gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and rejoice. They've captured Israel's saviour, so they assume as everyone did in the ancient world, their God had triumphed over Israel's God. And we still do that today, don't we? Instead of gods, it's more our values, our beliefs, our politics. Democracy has triumphed over whatever else. They said, verse 23, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. I wonder if you've ever seen uh, an airplane's black box. It's not very well named because actually they're bright orange. It records all the flight sort of data and it's sort of meant to be almost indestructible. So that even if the plane crashes, you can sort of find, well, where was the moment that it went wrong? What happened here? And if you could find the black box for the Philistines here, this is the point where the plane went into nosedive. They can't see the invisible gorilla. They think that their God had the authority to give Samson, Yahweh's man, to them. And they can't see. The only reason they have hold of him is because God had left Samson. You've heard that just at the 
end of the first half of chapter 16 last week? Or had he in fact handed him over? Was this maybe a case of back in chapter 14, he, that is, we said God, was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. They don't see the threat of Samson, but more important, they don't see the threat of Yahweh. And they praised their God. This feels like the wrong note for the story to end on, doesn't it? The bad guys have won, and here they are celebrating. And yet, the book of Judges is actually not about the different heroes, the different saviors. The book of Judges is all about God. It's all about his plans, his land, his promises, his deliverance. And so when suffering and when we feel alone, we need to know that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him. And he is here too. But look at what they say, verse 24 here. Our God has given our enemy into our hand. This Samson, the ravager of our country, one who has killed many of us. The Philistines can't see the invisible gorilla in front of them. That is actually God, not Samson. I wonder how we avoid doing the same. The Philistines partying and boasting has blinded them to Samson's recovery and the God who strengthens him. There's an invisible gorilla, but secondly, there's a very foolish decision there, isn't there? Uh, Stupidity has a way of actually not just uh, damaging and threatening itself, but actually threatening others too, doesn't it? Uh, Every summer, I used to go across uh, to Cornwall Uh, I lived in Plymouth, so just across the water there, and arguably that was my first mistake. I probably should never have crossed the bridge. Uh, It's a weird place. Uh, But I would cross there, and I would go to a summer camp that was held there. There was a church with some of my friends there that held this, and um, loads of different times. Big tent where they had this sort of meeting, and it's run off a big sort of petrol generator. And so one evening, there's a power outage. Uh, We're trying to work out what's, what's gone on, and I don't really remember why... Myself and my friend were sort of sent to to go and look. It certainly wasn't any expertise. But nonetheless, we're sent off in the dark to go and see what's happened. And it's very dark, so we're sort of struggling to see. He goes, oh, don't worry, don't worry. I've got a light. Just just let me help you here. I'll put a light on this. And proceeds to not pull out a torch, but a Zippo lighter. (laughs) And so I sort of rugby tackle him to the ground. I'll tell you later (laughs) why. Here is a very stupid action that would lead to very devastating consequences. Verse 23 shows the stupid thought. Verse 25 introduces the stupid action that the Philistines will ruin themselves with. Look at this, verse 25. When their hearts were merry, and look at how it begins. When their hearts were merry, when they were drunk. Drink leads them to decisions they are going to regret. I wonder if we know that reality too. Conversation you shouldn't have had. Purchase you shouldn't have made. Fight you didn't need to pick. When the hearts were merry, they said, call Samson. 
that he may entertain us. And now the saviour is becoming a spectacle for their fun and entertainment, isn't he? And I wonder how you feel at this point. This is a pretty sad end, isn't it, for the saviour of God's people. It's a pretty low point for Samson. I wonder if maybe you might actually, maybe for the first time, be beginning to feel a bit sorry for him. And they called Samson out of the prison. Hmm. What a foolish decision. They call him out of the prison. You see, pride can blind you, can't it? And lead you to make very stupid decisions. And here is, as always, a combination of both God's sovereignty, God working sovereignly over people, but also human action at the same time, of pride and sin and God's providence too. They call him out of the prison and they made him stand between the pillars. And that sounds like an incidental detail until the next verse shows us this becomes crucial. Samson said, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. And if you've forgotten, he's had his eyes gouged out, so he needs some help to be guided along. And they let Samson do it, I think, because they have already written Samson's obituary. As far as they're concerned, he's finished. What threat is Samson anymore? But he's not finished yet. And there's an irony, isn't there? Samson, with his eyes gouged out, who is not physically able to see, who is guided along by the Philistines there to those pillars, isn't as short-sighted as the Philistines were. And our narrator, I think, wants us to see the humour in this. Now the house, verse 27, was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Everybody who could be there. Everybody who could get hold of a ticket. Like a Taylor Swift concert. Packed into the venue. To see Samson do a jig. And yet, I think our narrator wants us to see there's an opportunity there. The house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there are about 3,000 men and women. Look how many Philistines are there. A foolish decision opens up an opportunity for God to end the Philistines' pride through Samson. There's that invisible gorilla, there's a foolish decision. And then lastly, there's glory after death. You know, if this was a Hollywood movie, this would really be the big final battle that the film has all been leading up towards, where the hero surely will finally triumph. Whether it's Rocky versus Ivan Drago, or Luke versus Darth Vader, or in Karate Kid, Daniel versus Johnny. But instead, this is not like that Hollywood movie where the hero prevails. This is almost as if, actually, Ivan Drago knocks Rocky out and takes his title. That Darth Vader chops Luke's hand off and prevails. Or that Johnny kicks Daniel's head off his shoulders. We don't get the Hollywood ending. Or so it seems. 
In fact, we find the hero has to die, but that there's glory after death. Look at verse 28 here. Then Samson called to the Lord. And for the first time since chapter 15, verse 18, Samson has called to God for help. He's recognized he needs God's help. He cannot get out of this just on his own strength. And that all the strength that he did have was always from God. Samson called to the Lord. And it tells us that it's never too late to call out to God. That you've never gone too far to call for his help. And that God answers our call. Samson is physically blind here. His eyes have been gouged out. But he is spiritually alert. For the first time that we've obviously seen in this story. While the Philistines have eyes, but no insight. Samson called to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. You see, God must be seen to remember his man for his own name's sake. Because he doesn't abandon his people. And that must be seen. And he asks, Oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. But I want to ask a question. Is that the only reason in Samson's mind? I think our storyteller wants us to know that it's not. Because I think verse 24, when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us, produces, verse 28, strengthen me that I may avenge myself for my two eyes. Let me die with the Philistines, he says. And now Samson is dying for something, for a purpose beyond just himself. To truly live, you have to be willing to let go of everything that you have and everything that you think you may know. Jesus tells his disciples, Matthew 16, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Are we willing then to sacrifice ourselves, our pride, our pleasure, our comfort for something, for a mission, for a purpose bigger than us? Samson finally has that moment, doesn't he? Then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. It's not quite the Hollywood ending for Samson here, is it? But Samson is a picture for us. The question to ask is, why is this story of Samson here in the Bible? Because it's not just telling us what happened and that it happened. It's not just history. But it is telling us something. It has a message for us. 
I said to you last week that one of those messages is that Samson was a picture of Israel. That the people had become like Samson too. Blessed by God, but squandering their blessing. Forgetting their calling. Not taking their freedom. But Samson is also a picture of us. And we are more like Samson than we might like to think. We think that serving God will be all about the things that we will do. Our gifts, our efforts, our achievements. But in reality, our stories, like Samson's, are that God works despite your weakness, not because of your strength. That sounds negative, but it's not. It's the most deeply positive and liberating truth you could ever really hear. Because it's telling you, it means it's all about Jesus and what he does through you, even if, no scratch that, even when you fail. What a freeing truth to know that God might use us as he uses Samson, even when we, like Samson, get things very wrong sometimes. He is a picture for us. And then look at the way it ends here, that next part of verse 30. The dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. I don't know about you, but you're not really sure here whether this is a good or a bad summary, are you? Is this an example of a backhanded compliment? Um, you know what I mean? A, something sort of comes in the form of a compliment, but it's really a, a slap down, isn't it? Like, you know, I bet you were in great shape when you were younger. Or, your Instagram makes you look so fun. Or, I love how you don't care what other people think. They present as compliments, but I'm not sure that they are, are they? And on the one hand, this is quite a sad statement, isn't it? The dead whom he killed in his death were more than he'd ever done in his life. His dying moment is the best thing he ever did as a judge. That's, that's quite a sad statement. On the other hand, for all the failures... His death is a triumph. And until you're dead, there's always hope that you might finally have that moment that like Samson, you finally get it. And it ends, verse 31, quite unspectacularly, doesn't it? Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him. With that, the final judge of judges is gone. And the question remains, how far have the people really come? Samson, the last judge of judges, dies. But how far have we really got through the book of Judges? Judges launched off really with three main sort of calls to the people. That was to trust God, to take the freedom he's given you, and don't sell out. Or you could put it another way, have faith, be bold, be distinct. But it doesn't feel like we've got all that far, does it? And I want you to hold that feeling for a moment, because I think that you are supposed to feel that. You are not supposed to come away with a Hollywood ending from judges feeling, oh well, everything is okay, all's well that ends well. 
Now, Judges leaves us longing for a better saviour, for the saviour to come. A saviour who will win us an everlasting victory, where he will faithfully lead us forever. Samson wasn't that saviour, was he? But he does give a foreshadowing and a foretaste of that saviour to come. Especially that idea that death and seeming defeat is his greatest victory. Peter, one of Jesus' close friends, writes in his letter here, 1 Peter 3, verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Jesus is killed, dying the death that we should have faced, sacrificing himself for us. He faces death himself so that he could defeat death for us, so that we could be made alive in him, so that we could be free, free to approach God, to know him, to be his. So his death is actually his crowning achievement and his resurrection proves it for us. His resurrection shows that we too can be reborn to new life through faith, that after death to sin, death to our old ways, there may be glory in Christ Jesus. It leaves us longing for the better saviour. But the good news is that the New Testament doesn't leave us hanging for that answer. It gives us that answer in Jesus that this morning we might know glory after death. Forgiveness from sins, being renewed and restored and reconciled to God our Father, being his children, entering his freedom, receiving all of his promises. Let's pray and then we will sing together again.